0: Hi, my name is Frank Rotering. This podcast channel, Ecological Survival, features content from my website, EcologicalSurvival.org. I'm deeply concerned about humankind's inadequate response to the ecological crisis. I'm trying to correct this by disseminating my independent analysis and strategy. For more about me and my project, please see the website's about statement. The scientific misconduct of climate scientists. Section A Introduction During the Vietnam War, the United States military sprayed 50,000 tons of Agent Orange and other defoliants on Vietnamese forests to expose the trails used by the Viet Cong. The plant researcher who had synthesized Agent Orange many years earlier, Yale University's Arthur Galston, was appalled by the resulting human and ecological damage. He therefore asked the members of his professional association, the American Society of Plant Physiologists, to sign a resolution opposing its use. He sent this to President Lyndon Johnson, and in 1970, 5 years before the war ended, the military discontinued this horrific practice. In a 1972 article, Science and Social Responsibility, a case history, Golson reflected on a successful campaign his main conclusion was that, quote, almost any scientific finding can be perverted or twisted under appropriate societal pressures, unquote. Because very few of his fellow scientists had supported his efforts, he decried the lack of social conscience within his own professional association. Most importantly, he called for an ethical awakening within organized science, quote, scientific societies must somehow be made to realize and act on their social responsibilities." He spent the rest of his academic career and some of his retirement years teaching bioethics to Yale undergraduates. Sadly, climate scientists and their associations have not followed Galston's shining example. Despite his warnings, The field has allowed its generally excellent research to be perverted and twisted under societal pressures, and it has largely abdicated its social responsibilities. One glimmer of hope is that, as with the small group that supported Galston, a critical mass of heroic climate scientists will step forward to disavow the standard distortions and offer society a truthful account of the unprecedented crisis it faces. Section B Social Responsibilities. The social responsibilities of climate scientists are spelled out by the American Geophysical Union, or AGU, which is one of the field's main professional associations. According to its Scientific Integrity and Professional Ethics document, the AGU promotes science for the benefits of humanity, to ensure a sustainable future, and to foster environmental well being. Its most significant section is the following Stewardship of the Earth. Members have an ethical obligation to responsibly, accurately, and clearly inform the public about natural resources, hazards, and other geoscience phenomena of importance to the well being of Earth and society. The document points out that, as with research misbehavior, Violating this obligation constitutes scientific misconduct. The AGU is not the only organization to highlight the social responsibility of scientists. The National Academy of Sciences, in its book On Being a Scientist, states that, "...because scientific results greatly influence society, researchers have an obligation to act in ways that serve the public." The Brussels Declaration, which was adopted in 2017 by the American Association for the Advancement of Science, states that, quote, "Citizens have every right to ask who the experts are, how they are chosen, and what the veracity of their advice is." Unquote. The declaration also insists that, quote, "scientists must listen and respond to criticism." Unquote. The World Economic Forum in a quote of ethics formulated by young scientists, says that, quote, scientists owe a duty to the public to share the findings of scientific research in a manner that allows them to understand and judge the impact of the science and research they have funded, unquote. Briefly stated, the social responsibilities of climate scientists are to clearly, fully, And accurately inform society about the crisis and its potential solutions, and to respectfully interact with the public on these issues. My claim is that, with only a few honorable exceptions, climate scientists have abrogated these responsibilities, thereby leaving societies scientifically disarmed as rising greenhouse gases imperil their future. I will substantiate this claim by outlining three accusations against the field. Disorienting society about the crisis itself, abandoning the rational goal of safe greenhouse gas concentrations, and misrepresenting geoengineering. Section C, three accusations. Number one, disorienting society about the crisis. Likely the most dangerous aspect of the ecological crisis is the damage to earth systems from the rise in greenhouse gas concentrations since the industrial revolution. To a large degree, this is the domain of climate scientists. And it is their professional duty to characterize the threat objectively and accurately. They have failed to do so, starting with the name and nature of the crisis itself. The term generally used by the discipline to identify the various greenhouse gas-based threats is climate change, which is defined by the IPCC as a prolonged change in the mean and variability of key weather components. However, such change occurs at the end of the causal chain that begins with elevated greenhouse gas concentrations. It is therefore not the initial or triggering event and it has no bearing on ocean acidification the chemical result of elevated CO2 levels. Climate change is a plausible term for the public because shifting weather was an early greenhouse gas impact due to the atmosphere's relatively low mass. But climate scientists have a duty to be rigorous and to correct rather than reinforce public misconceptions. They should therefore have chosen a term such as the one I have adopted, greenhouse gas, or GHG, crisis. The misuse of the term climate change causes deep public confusion. But it is only one of several distortions of key terms. The IPCC defines global warming as the warming of the Earth's surface by elevated greenhouse gas concentrations, which clearly distinguishes it from climate change. Despite this, climate scientists in many cases use the two terms interchangeably. Another example is the common term mitigation. This is defined by the IPCC as the combination of reduced emissions and enhanced sinks, but is generally construed as reduced emissions alone. The bizarre result is that, when climate scientists tell society to quote, mitigate and adapt, unquote, it, that is society, has no way of knowing what they really mean, or even if they have a consistent understanding among themselves. As stated in the AGU Stewardship Clause, climate scientists must quote "...responsibly, accurately and clearly inform the public about geoscience phenomena of importance to the well-being of Earth and society." Unquote. My first accusation is that, given the intellectual muddle they have created, climate scientists have been irresponsible, inaccurate and unclear in informing the public about the greenhouse gas crisis. Accusation number two, abandoning the rational goal of safe greenhouse gas concentrations. Almost three decades ago, a major climate agreement called UNFCCC committed the international community to the scientifically sound goal of maintaining greenhouse gas concentrations at or below safe levels. For CO2, the safe level is 350 parts per million or less. When the agreement was ratified in 1994, the concentration was already unsafe at 360 parts per million. Instead of dropping, it then rose rapidly. It is now 415 parts per million and increasing, at least in non-pandemic years, at about 2.5 parts per million annually. How did this happen? Well, in 1995, the IPCC, which represents the views of most climate scientists, decided that specifying the danger level for greenhouse gas concentrations was a task for policymakers, that is, non-scientific government representatives. As explained in my previous post, this was an illogical and unethical step that led to the rejection of safe concentrations as the greenhouse gas goal and its replacement with reduced emissions. Because emissions are concentration additions, greenhouse gas levels inevitably rose in the decades that followed. The goal chosen to replace safe concentrations was to reduce emissions in order to limit the global temperature increase to 1.5 or 2 degrees Celsius. Temperature targets, however, make no sense because the critical issue for humankind and nature is ecological damage. As the IPCC noted in its 1.5 degree report, this is caused by both the magnitude and duration of elevated global temperatures. It is therefore represented by the areas under the concentration curves, not just the levels they reach. This means that even if net zero emissions were to stabilize the global temperature increase at 1.5 degrees, ecological damage would continue indefinitely. The only survivable goal is to reduce greenhouse gas concentrations, and thus the global temperature, to the Holocene levels that spawned human civilization. The National Academy of Sciences states that, quote, researchers have an obligation to act in ways that serve the public. Unquote. My second accusation is that by abandoning the rational goal of safe greenhouse gas concentrations and substituting ecocidal temperature targets, climate scientists are complicit in the global warming and ocean acidification that are now devastating Earth systems. They are therefore betraying rather than serving the public. And finally, accusation number three, misrepresenting geoengineering. No greenhouse gas issue is conceptually simpler and more comprehensively mystified than geoengineering. It's simple. More energy is currently flowing from the sun to the earth than from the earth to space. This creates an energy imbalance that results in global warming. Unless this warming is quickly reversed tipping points and points of no return will soon be passed an environmental collapse will ensue. There are only two ways to achieve this reversal. Decrease incoming energy with solar radiation management and increase outgoing energy with greenhouse gas removal. Geoengineering refers to the combination of these two essential measures. Climate scientists have consistently obfuscated this straightforward account by avoiding the energy balance explanation and by treating solar radiation management and greenhouse gas removal as unrelated measures. This has allowed them to dismiss solar radiation management as an irresponsible climate hack or techno-fix and to limit the role of greenhouse gas removal to meeting futile temperature targets. My third accusation is that through these distortions, Society has been deprived of the only crisis response that could possibly salvage its future. Number one, aggressively reduce emissions to slow the rise in greenhouse gas concentrations. Number two, massively implement greenhouse gas removal to return concentrations to save levels. And number three, quickly initiate solar radiation management to reduce the risk of runaway warming until safe greenhouse gas levels are reached. Section D, my concluding comments. Climate scientists deserve immense credit for establishing the reality and gravity of the greenhouse gas crisis through their research and for courageously resisting the sordid denialist attacks. But aside from these important contributions, they have failed to meet their social obligations as stipulated in their own codes of behavior. They are therefore guilty of scientific misconduct. This charge, however, applies to the field as a whole and not, as with research misconduct, to individual scientists. Although the AGU's code of conduct includes a detailed investigative and disciplinary process for the latter, it does not consider disciplinary action for an entire discipline. This is unfortunately typical among scientific associations, which means they have failed to respond adequately to Galston's impassioned cry that, scientific societies must somehow be made to realize and act on their social responsibilities. The distinction between ethical research behavior and social responsibilities is crucial and can be illustrated with two examples. The first is the work of Rachel Carson. Similar to Galston, her primary concern was not the integrity of DDT research, but the human and natural devastation caused by its heedless application. The second example is more graphic. Every code of conduct I examine includes provisions for protecting research animals. A scientist who tortures or starves lab rats would therefore be subject to disciplinary action. But in Australia's recent bushfires, several billion animals were killed or displaced, causing them untold suffering. This was due, at least in part, to the social irresponsibility of climate scientists in falsifying the greenhouse gas crisis and permitting the catastrophic rise in global temperature. For their role in this gruesome atrocity, no professional discipline awaits. I conclude by noting that, given the current state of climate science, rational thought about the greenhouse gas crisis is impossible and an effective response is out of reach. Because the biosphere is collapsing with extraordinary speed, the field must either be quickly and radically reformed or society must ignore its deceptive stories and replace them with the products of independent and socially responsible thought.